All right, so I will read, and, and just as a, as a note, verse 3 through 12 is, is one long sentence, and it has some mounting passion, and I'll try to read it in accordance with that. Um, but really what Peter is doing is he is just relishing in this grand salvation that we have in Christ. We so often tend to think of salvation as a one-time Thing that happens in the Bible and what Peter does is he just he shows us the heights and the depths and the and the breadth and just the expansive glory that that salvation is for us and, and really what it should do in our lives. And we'll come to that in our text. So if you would read with me and start in first Peter one verse three. So it begins blessed be the God and father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we pick up where we left off in verse 10. And it says, notice the first uh, four words there. It says, as to this salvation, well, that just points back to the preceding thing that we read about this expansive, 
all-encompassing salvation and really the salvation which a lot of it's future to us. Now, we've been born again. That's an act for every Christian that's taken place. And we talked at length that God making us alive. And, and, but the rest of this is set out in the future. And he's going to start to hone in on, something, on some more specifics um, about this salvation. He says, as to this salvation, this one that we've been talking about, the, the prophets who prophesied. So these are Old Testament prophets. And notice the word that he uses to describe the salvation. He says, as to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So these Old Testament prophets had a, had a message. And the message that they were talking about is a message where its, its chief attribute is grace. This is what the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to. If you, if you drop your eyes down just a little bit, you're going to see that it says that the Spirit of Christ was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And that, that's more narrowly upon Jesus. This is, you could say this is the message of the cross. This is the, this is the message of the gospel. So some of these other things that we've been talking about, about the future blessings that we're to receive, he's honing in a little bit here and saying this salvation, and specifically I'm talking about Christ. So what's in view here is the central message which we hold, the the cross of Christ, his resurrection and enthronement, and that is grace to us. And what a wonderful thing to hear that this is what the prophets look forward to. It was grace that they looked forward to. Our salvation is gift, not merit. It comes from the riches of God's mercy and not granted on the basis of works. This is our salvation and it's it's striking to me because when I think of Old Testament prophets, probably like you, I just, I just read through Isaiah, and I think judgment. Lots and lots and lots of judgment over and over and over again. And pounding home, you've broken God's law, you've transgressed the covenant, you've done wrong in God's sight. Again and again and again. And that's a major theme. But along with that, always stands God's Grace. This is the other portion that, that the prophets were looking forward to. A time where God's grace would be manifest in a different way. But we should resonate on the fact that it's God's grace. Because as we read and think about all the Old Testament scriptures. Which talks about God's destruction or his judgment, his wrath and condemnation. We know rightly that what Israel, what the people of God were convicted for, we fall under. We are, we are under the condemnation of the law. And Romans 5 says we're saved from the wrath of God. And so this message that they talked about and this message which we cling to should also get you, get you very excited because it's not the message of God's wrath falling on us. It's the central message which we hold to the prophets spoke about is about his 
gracious deliverance from his very own wrath. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing, which we're going to look at. And he says here, if you want to note in verse 10, he says that the prophets, as they were prophesying, they made careful searches and inquiries. They're, they're really consumed to figure something out. They, they were prophesying about the Messiah and they didn't know the dynamics of it. They didn't know all that has to do with Christ. They had revelation to give, but part of it was hidden for them. It was in the shadows, it was in the dark. They, they longed to see what, what is this thing, this, this Christ? Who is this, who is this person going to be? And in fact, it says in verse 11, it says, even the spirit of Christ is in the prophet making these revelations known. And so this just as a, as a point of note, this is not as if this is not the way that the Bible talks about this, like our human spirit. This is not the human spirit of Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. We can call the Holy Spirit the spirit of Christ. Um, we can also call it with Acts sixteen seven. It says, as, as the apostles wanted to go into Bithynia, it says this. It says, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. The, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is one that the God the Father and God the Son send out the Spirit throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. And... Just by way of application, the, the way that Peter talks, you will not understand this book unless you have a robust Trinitarian doctrine. You cannot understand the scriptures unless you understand the Father and the Son and the Spirit, one God in three persons. You, you will not understand Peter. And so just by way of application, this is something that we really need to work on. We really do. At times, it seems like we've, we've cut off God the Father and all we talk about is Jesus. Um, and sometimes, I don't think here so much, but there's a lot of people who are hesitant to talk about the Holy Spirit um, in a robust fashion because of misuses of how the Spirit operates. And so just see this as an encouragement for Peter in the way he talks that we need to be robust in our thinking about the Trinity about the Father and the Son, the Spirit of Christ. We, we need to be able to, to talk like this too and think about it in your, in your presentation of the gospel. When we're sharing the central message of, this, of the message of the cross, is it, is it Trinitarian in the way you present it? Look, look at that. Um, but that's a little bit of a side note. Um, Let's go back into the text here. So verse 11, it says these prophets were making careful searches, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating. Um, There's debate on whether it's person, time, or if it's just a time. That doesn't matter. The the point is that, that there's... The, the time frame of the Christ or the, the specific details are hidden from them. And it says in verse 12, it, something, well, let me just say this. It's, 
This is a really amazing thing. The, the prophets who are given the revelation to talk about the Christ to come are feeling missing something. And you, you ask the question, well, who gets the privilege of knowing that revelation? Verse 12 says, it was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. What the prophets desired to see, we see. Everybody in the age of the New Testament, everybody who has the the revelation of Jesus Christ and the Gospels and the epistles and revelation, that is what they're longing to see. They, They would have, as it were, cut off the right arm just to get a glimpse of it. There was some intense longing for this thing that we have. Now, it's not just by way of, of, of application to us while well, it was given to them and by way of application. No, it says that it was intended for us. Peter says that, that there is a privilege that you have, believer, that the prophets who longed to see these things, who were speaking about them, did not get to know it the way we know it. And that is an amazing privilege for us. We understand the gospel more fully than, than the prophets did. That, I, I imagine that you, you're not going to hear Isaiah talking about the second person of the Trinity coming in and taking on flesh and knowing exact, being able to articulate it the way we do because we have further revelation. God did an amazing work there to show and, and they're looking forward to it. And not only the prophets are looking forward to it, but if you notice in verse 12 at the end, things into which angels long to look. Not only the prophets, but these, you know, the Bible describes angels as like burning ones. It's seraphim. They're they're burning ones and they stand in the presence of God ministering to him and their eyes are being pulled because of a longing to see this thing that God is doing on the earth. And the display of, of the, the cross and the resurrection of Christ, all of heavenly hosts, even though being in the presence of God, they, they want to, they are longing to look down from heaven and see this thing which God has done. And that should tell us how amazing it is. It really should. We should be so, uh, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. So excited to see what we have in the gospel. I've, I've heard people say, and I think there's movements out there that you guys can fill in the blanks, but a lot of, I, I've heard people say things like, man, if God would just do like the miraculous things like he did in the Old Testament with the, with the splitting of the Red Sea and, and why can't God do stuff like that or, or Oh, if, if God only moved on us in, in more uh, miraculous signs and, and, and wonders and, and all sorts of things like that. And this text, I think, would point us to say that the answer is no. Do you know what you have in the gospel, Christian? Do you understand that the prophets are looking forward and only we see clearly how uh, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit interact and in who they are. 
The Trinity is revealed and we see it now and they didn't see it then. We see clearly how the infinite wrath of God is satisfied in the person and work of Christ. We see him die under the wrath of God. And we know that no more is there sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. Because it's been atoned for. The bulls and the goats are done. The the lamb of God is slain. What more could you want than that? And all of our sins being cast in as far as the east is from the west. We see that clearly. They long to see that. We see clearly what the what the greater exodus was, what the Passover was pointing to. These things are signs. These are, these are small in comparison to what God has done in Christ. He has, he has led us through the sea of, of death, of Christ's death, and he has conquered all of our enemies in an exodus-like way. He is the lamb who's slain. He is the broken bread which which we're going to partake in later. He's the cup which we bless. This is the gospel of the salvation we've been given in the, in the, in the death of Christ, his defeating death um, on the cross, and, and in his glorious resurrection and his enthronement. I just, because we've been not in Peter for a while, I'm just going to use verse 3 through 9 and list off some of the great things that we see in the salvation to further emphasize the fact that this is why all of history points forward to Christ and all of heaven looks down on, the, on Christ. This is the central piece of history. This is, this is what's central in our lives. Absolutely central. So verse... Verse 3 says that we've been born again. We, we have spiritual life from the dead in the gospel. We have, verse 4, an eternal heavenly inheritance. Verse 5, we have the sovereign, omnipotent protection of the Lord over all of our, all of our lives and our future inheritance. Verse 6 and 7 talks about the providential sanctifying, refining of our faith in suffering. Verse 8 tells us and relates to us the indomitable joy and love that we have poured out in our hearts in Christ Jesus. And even though we don't see him now, which can be trying for us, we don't see him when things are hard. We still can't help but love him. And believe in him and trust in him. That's verse 8. Verse 5 and 9 talks about the promise of Christ's return. And what should be judgment for us is grace to us. Verse 5 and 9. And, and that's our final and full salvation. That's, what, that's why he's so high on this. That's why Peter is so caught up. Uh, because he sees the impact and, and the, the, the earth history altering, life shattering, whatever, whatever you want to, however you want to describe that better than I can. That this is what all of history is about. This is what salvation we have in, in God. And so he is making the point with emphasis. And really, I see him starting in verse three and he can't stop his pen because 
This is an amazing reality. Do you see that? Do you, do you see how glorious the salvation we have? The, do you see the import of something that he can just, he can just say in glory? And we, we should see that. And so this will be, this is the first piece. Okay. The second piece, if you look in verse 13, has the very first word says, therefore. And this is a really, really important word in the, in the scriptures because it's logically connecting what came before to what comes after. We haven't seen what's after. <laughs> so we'll pause and ask, what's this trying to communicate? Um, but it's, it's summing up what, what has been said. And, and now he's going to give a, a, the logical implications of, of something. So what, what, what is here? Let's read verse 13. It says, therefore, girding, well, I'll, I'll translate it literally. It's translated, and you can see this in any of your study Bibles. It says, girding up the loins of your mind. And that's a word picture. And being sober, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I, I don't, just as a parenthesis, I don't like how translations will i think it's over translated it's a word picture it's there for a reason i and it's it's super helpful for us it's really really helpful for us so it says literally gird up the loins of your mind so in that day people wore longer flowing things okay like i'm wearing pants and i don't have to gird up no loins to run (laughs) but in the day a long flowing garment is gonna have to be girded up and tucked into itself so you can run or do some serious work and so he says your mind girded up that's what's the way we could say that in modern vernacular you could say prepare your mind for action is how it says it in my translation you could say, t- tighten it up. You're thinking right here, get it ready. And, and for what? For what purpose? And he says, it's, it's, this is the means to setting your hope fully on the grace that is to be bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's the image here. But let's, there's another portion of that. So get ready your mind. And it says, to, to be sober or sober minded. And so think, think with me uh, for a second if, cause there's an, there's a goal and there's an end to this, but this sober, this sobriety is, is a, a common way of, of speaking, but it's helpful to think of it in the picture that it is. It's not a mind. Your, your mind should not be un, unfocused and not tethered anywhere that happens it's not dulled. Your, your, your mind is not stumbling this way and stumbling that way and unable to, to focus in a, in a straight line. Your, your mind is not hazy and clouded. Rather, it's sober. It's, it's sharp. It's accurate. It's, it's able to think in a straight line. So get it ready. That's, that's what our minds should look like. That's what our heart should, where our heart should be at. And you ask, and we should ask, for what end? What purpose? Why? What is so important that we need to ready our, ready our thinkers? 
And the, the purpose, he says, is so that we can set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I didn't note it earlier, but earlier he does the same thing where when you kind of expect him to say salvation, he says grace. He uses grace almost synonymously with salvation. Salvation is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful thing to, to, to just focus your mind on. And, but that's the action that he's calling for is to ready it, to set your hope. And the, let's see the therefore. How does this work? Therefore, in the middle, is connecting these two. Well, he had said that we have been born again to a living hope. Okay, and he says in verse 5 that we're being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And then in 7, he further says that that at the end, with the revelation of Jesus Christ, he says that our faith um, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's, you see, he's talking about the same reality. So we have this hope. We have this hope that God in Christ will come again. There's going to be a second coming. And in that second coming, what it's going to be for us is praise, glory, honor, It's going to be God's grace given to us and not his judgment. This is what he's bringing. He's glorying in that reality. And then he says, therefore, now prepare your minds to hope in it, to just to just trust that, uh, to to bank your life on the fact that it's going to happen. It's true. So his, his conclusion is the same thing that he's glorying in. Trust him and, and hope here. I, I hope you can see. I, I pray you can see. He's not used hope too many times. His hope is functioning very, very, very similar to faith. Set your hope on it. Believe that it's going to happen. You, you have something set out in the future that you can trust in. Why? Uh, because of all the things that we see in Christ. The fact that this was prophesied in the Old Testament. And that it came to pass all these things about Christ, his suffering, his, his uh, perfect obedience under the law, his atoning death for us. All these things were prophesied. They came to pass. And because they've come to pass, verse 3, we've been born again. And there's yet another promise set out for us. And it's, it's coming with the revelation of Jesus Christ when he finishes our salvation. And so with, with Peter... Um, he wants us to, uh, let me just say, this is, this is how we should live every day. The, the context, just as a reminder, is one of where there's various persecutions. And he mentions that in verse 6 and 7, coming up. And it's, I'm sure it's shaking them and he has a need to address it. And so there's, there's various trials coming. And if you think about the comparison, it's more precious than gold, though it's tried by fire. <laughs> what in, in yours, it feels like it's a freaking fire is what I'm being tried by. It's, it's not light. It's not easy. 
And so what do we do? We, we, we prepare our minds to fix it on this great hope that we have in the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's how we're supposed to live every day. Fix it upon the second coming. And Peter's not coming up with anything new, right? Remember with me what Jesus taught everybody to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. It's right there. Thy kingdom come. There's a longing for God's kingdom to be here where he sets up his eternal reign. And that's, that's at the second coming. That's, that's when God is putting all things right. He is setting up his dominion physically upon the earth. And that's what we're supposed to hope. And we're taught to, we're taught to pray that. And so Peter's not coming up with, with anything new. And that should be a, a glory for us. But here is filling out some of the richness that we have in, in even that, that prayer that Jesus taught. So, verse 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. We'll go over that and we'll go through 14 through 16 now. Therefore, girding the loins of your mind and being sober-minded, fix your hope completely. I didn't, I didn't touch that word, but, but <laughs> this is all-encompassing completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As obedient children, this is just a recollection of what he already really touched on in verse 3. Verse 3 says that, Blessed be the God and Father who has caused us to be born again. So we're born to a father. <laughs> we're born as children. This is echoing that same reality. And we could point to many, many other places in the New Testament. But what is about to happen is he's about to give a, a couple commands. One, one, The first one will be, if you could look in, in verse um, 14 right after that it says do not the negative portion of the command and then in verse 15 you have be holy and then he gives a reason so there's there's two things and and the the question is that's that we should be thinking is what does it look like to set our hope fully on the the grace of the lord jesus that's that's coming at the second coming and really what Peter's doing is he's just elaborating. Here's what it looks like in verse 14 and, and 15 is one is the negative and we'll see that first. And the second is the positive. This is the manner and this is the means in which we set our hope fully on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. Um, just one more note on fathers is I, I got... There's many things to point out, but I, I think you'll find that we, when we think of God's commands, it is very helpful to put yourself exactly where Peter 
puts us right here as children to a father. A father's instruction, a good father's instruction is, is wise and it's for our benefit and for our good. And I've experienced this in my own life. Uh, the one is maybe not the most poignant that I could say, but my dad preached over and over again, don't get in debt. And, and I listened to that and I heeded that. And I was very thankful because I wouldn't have got the education I got unless, if I had gotten debt to a number of things. Because one, one of the things that the school that I went to, at least my undergrad, would not let anybody come who didn't have a way to pay off their school. That was a conviction that they had, and, and so they made it affordable. But if I didn't heed that word, I wouldn't have got to, to do that. And, and I found that becoming truer and truer and truer as, as, I, as I've grown, uh, grown up. And I think if we put ourselves in that same spot, and the son to the, to the, you know, the Proverbs has the father and the son, and the son listening to the father's instruction. Think of this as the most wise and good and righteous commands that are for you. How you set your hope on the grace to come. It's, it's, it's the Lord's wisdom here. And we need to be you know, obedient children. Um, knowing and having in mind the salvation. Put yourself there when you think of these. And don't find them as burden. Because when, when you live out like, I, like I've lived that particular thing out from my father. It's freeing. It's, it's changing. It, it, it helps you live as Christians. So when you hear this, don't hear burden. Hear a father's wise instruction. He says, on the negative aspect, he says, Do not be conformed to, your former, to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So don't. Don't be conformed like the like pressed in like clay pressed into a mold. The the mold being lusts and and the the what the world would press you into where you're ignorant of God's holiness and you're conformed to this thing which is unholy and detestable and vile. And I thought of Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, Isaiah's calling is being very, very helpful and informative to see what, what it looks like here. Um, this is Isaiah's vision before his calling. And this will put together ignorance and conformity to the world and holiness and living holy all together in the proper way that it should go. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but it's Isaiah 6. One through one through seven, we'll go through. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And I will let you know that, well, Pat's going to get there, but John particularly says this is Jesus. So Jesus is sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings with Two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with the other two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth 
is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw the Lord of hosts, holy, holy, holy. And what's his reaction is to notice his own uh, unclean lips, his his profane mouth um, and, and much more. This is what's pulled out, though. And then he's among a people who do the same thing. And now he sees God in his holiness and he's undone. He's been conformed the way that we're not supposed to be conformed to, to the shape of this world in uncleanness and in unrighteousness and unholy living conduct. And, and it comes about by seeing the holiness of the Lord I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a poignant pattern because our text says that we shouldn't be conformed. You think about where he's at and he's in that text. He's ignorant at that point to the holy majesty of God. And, and what people do in their ignorance is they, they live however they want to live because the standard is not up here. Like it should be the holiness of God. But when you see that, then you live differently. And so he says in verse 16, you shall be holy. You should be holy in all your conduct. And you shall be holy for I am holy. So there's this picture of God in who he is in, in his own moral, upstanding righteousness, the fact that he's totally set apart from sinners. And there's, on the other hand, on this side, where we were before God caused us to be born again in ignorance and darkness and in moral, corrupt living. And the bridge between that is the fact that, that God has bore you again, it caused you to be born again as, a, as his own child, and you see his holiness. And now, based upon the fact that he's got this great salvation and you're his child, and he's given moral standards to live by, his very character, in that flow, we can live. And I pray it's not a burden to you. I pray it's not a burden to you. Because all the things that have taken place before, it's not, and it's intentionally not inverted. This is why it comes after the therefore here. This great and grand salvation, this thing that God is promising protection, he's going to purify your faith and he's going to get you into glory and now, in that same time, we do have a responsibility to take on. And that's to see God and to rejoice in who he is. And then also recognize who he is in his character. And to not be conformed to that which our life was beforehand. Uh, but, but his awesome and weighty character. And, and just, just as a, 
this, this is, I think it's important that this text is drawn from a, a place in Scripture called the Holiness Code. And the, the Lord again and again and again um, speaks about commands. Some, some of them are specifically for Israel, but a lot of them are timeless. And I think even the ones that are, that are a little bit harder to discern what they would mean for us right now are, are clearly um, applic- straight across applicable the one that you'll you all know is from the holiness code is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> that's that's the standard. It's in this section, and maybe maybe it'd be good for me to just read that for you. Um, this is in uh, chapter nineteen. Chapter nineteen says of Leviticus. It says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourself molten gods. I am Yahweh your God. And he, again and again and again. He, this, a part of the Ten Commandments is being brought up. He, he's going to say this again and again and again. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And the picture that we have, like I've been saying, is fuller. It, it's fuller than, than what was seen at, at that point. We have the Father, the Son. We have the sacrifice of the son, the cross. That's a motivator for us, folks. It's, it's grace to us. All this grace has been poured upon us. And now as believers, we're children of God and we're free from our sin. And, and God's giving us a command predicated on his own holiness. And I hope you feel excited to go live in light of that, to, to be obedient children, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to, to just focus your mind on the fact that when, when Christ comes again, that's grace to you. So just recognize the pattern um, and the commands. The, the commands here is ready your mind to set it on <laughs> the hope that lies ahead of you. Live your life that way, Christian. And as you do so, fight all the temptations that, that want to conform you to the image of, of the unholy person that you and I were in our past life. We've been born again to something else. We've been born again as children of God. And now we have this wonderful, holy God who we can follow in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow after his pattern and just like his pattern, suffering and glory, that's the same here. Affliction, even in this life, and then praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged, beloved, and let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for these saints who know that you are holy, who know that your law condemns us, that know also the freeing grace of the Lord Jesus, which you've ordained, Father, for our good. You have predestined us unto conformity to the image of Christ. And, oh, Lord, it is difficult 
often to not be conformed to our sinful selves. We so often don't ready our minds to to hope in Christ and the grace to be brought to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us do so. We know that your spirit is poured out for this purpose. And so I pray that we would both marvel um, at the salvation that we have in you and, and therefore be compelled because it's so amazing. This truth is so amazing that it, how could we do anything else but live for you? Help our minds to think this way. Help our hearts to feel um, amazed at your glory and what you've done in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we trust you to sanctify us. Be honored in our worship here as we close out the service and and in this partaking of communion, which you've done for us. And um, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me again and grab your hymnal. We're going to be on hymn 690.
Please stand with me for our final song this evening. It's on the back of the bulletin before the throne of God above. Thank you.